Good morning, lovely guys and gals, and welcome to a new season of the Bread of Life podcast. So welcome back, everybody, to the Bread of Life podcast. I know we've taken a uh, quite a break over the past year or so. Um, if you're just joining in for the first time, then you have a lot of catching up to do. But if, if it's something you regularly listen to, then welcome back. We're going to pick up where we left off at the Liturgy of the Word, and we're going to just continue from there. Like always, if you have any questions or anything like that, please let me know. We can address them, uh, or we can just discuss them uh, one-on-one or whatever. Just to remind everybody what the, what the point of this podcast is, I'm by no means a final authority on any of this, of course. I'm just sharing what I've learned, a few ideas here and there, a few a few things that I've um, that I've learned in my studies, and a, th- a few things that I've learned in talking with uh, scholars and, and people who are extremely well read on this topic. So we're going to get back to where we left off. Uh, we ended the offertory or the offering of the lamb, and we're going to begin from the liturgy of the word. The liturgy of the word didn't always used to be in the place that it, that it is right now. It used to be before the offering of the lamb, and we mentioned that before. So after Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, being a follower of Christ did not necessarily equate death. So this allowed for the rise of many people to enter into the faith. So due diligence was needed to be exerted by the church in order to properly form those who sought a Christian life. So this meant a need for Christian education. Being a faith so deeply rooted in scripture, those who wanted to become Christians, uh, the catechumens, were welcomed into the church uh, and were allowed to attend a portion of the Divine Liturgy, which was the Liturgy of the Word. This was no problem because the readings and the homily during the Liturgy of the Word or the Catechumen used to be before the Offering of the Lamb. So there would be the Liturgy of the Word, and then the Offering of the Lamb would be after. And we mentioned this earlier on in, in, in previous podcasts um, when we discussed the Liturgy of the Lamb. This is just a refresher. So the placement of this allowed for the unbaptized or uninitiated to come and see while learning from Holy Scripture as part of the Catechesis. When the catechumenate seized at around the 6th century or so, the offering of the lamb was moved before the liturgy of the word and the altar covering was introduced, the prosperine. And the function of that was simply to cover the altar because the priest isn't always there because he's sensing and he's going around and things like that. So between the offering of the lamb and the liturgy of the faithful, there is this liturgy of the word and flies can come, bugs can come and such. So just cover it so that nothing dust doesn't fall or so on and then later on we take it off people attribute that to this, the meaning behind it to the burial and such and that's fine but again we're trying to go to the raw bones the real reasoning behind things and that was the reason just to cover things because there was a gap there was a gap when it was moved right before we dive into the liturgy of the word i just want to dwell on the lectionaries themselves the the katamaros as we call them um, the books of reading, which we use in the church. Essentially, there are five lectionaries that we use in the church. There's the lectionary for Holy Week, or the Holy Pascha Week. There's the lectionary for the Holy 50 Days. There's lectionary for Sundays, for the weekdays, and for Lent. Those are the five lectionaries that we use in the Coptic Orthodox Church. For the most part, these lectionaries consist of the Pauline Epistle, the Catholic Epistle, the Acts, the Psalm and Gospel, and that applies for both the liturgy, matins, and vespers. With the exception of the Holy Pascha Week lectionary, which can also contains some prophecies, it doesn't contain Pauline epistles, Catholic epistles, Act epistle, um, with the exception of Holy Thursday, of course. 
and Bright Saturday. So we're just going to mention a few points on each of these lectionaries because it's important to understand where they came from, how they came to be, and basically what's what's, what's the backbone. So the Holy the Holy Week lectionary, obviously, it's essentially going through the, the events of Christ. We're basically reading the entire New Testament, pretty much the Gospels and the Book of Revelation throughout the Holy Week. The epistles are read in parts. Obviously, there's not that big of an, an emphasis on the epistles, um, but the Gospels are pretty much read in their entirety. There are also traditions in which each day has its own gospel being read in its entirety, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And obviously the book of Revelation is read on bright Saturday at night during the, the overnight prayers. So basically the Holy Holy Paschal week is full of the New Testament readings. But in addition to that, there's a whole bunch of prophecies. And one thing that you may or may not have noticed growing up, I know I've definitely noticed that, is there's always been new books, new 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 versions of the the Holy Paschal week book. And the prophecies seem to get keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Obviously, with Coptic Reader, they kind of just slide in, and we don't we don't even really notice them. But I remember when I was growing up, there was always the newest version or the newest book with which contains the prophecies, and there were always more prophecies. And the reason for this is quite simple. It's not like we've discovered new readings, no holy new holy readings. The reason for this, and the explanation for a lot of the lectionary readings, is that there wasn't a whole bunch of people that sat down and just started writing and said, okay, we're going to use this this for this day and this for that day and this for that day, these readings for, for each day. What actually ended up happening is that each area, each region in Egypt had its own lectionary, depending on its own circumstances and things like that. I'm going to mention specifically during the weekdays, uh, the, the, for the weekday lectionaries, it's a bit clearer there, but each area had their own uh, lectionary readings. And they had their own prophecies, they had their own gospels and everything like that. Obviously, as the church began to, to evolve and as the church began to, you know, kind of try to have an official structure for, for all of the Coptic Orthodox Church, they wanted to have one specific lectionary that's used in, it, in, in throughout the entire church. So essentially, they put it together, but then every now and then, people find a new manuscript. And they're like, oh, there's this reading for Holy Thursday. This reading for Holy Monday or Monday Eve or whatever. So then they just keep adding and adding and adding these these prophecies. But in reality, there weren't that many prophecies to begin with. Those are just because they've found a new manuscript in a different region or whatever. But it's important to understand that those prophecies were read independently of the other, the, of the others. It wasn't like they were all reading all of the prophecies as a th- at the same time as we do today. So sometimes we have like five, six, ten plus prophecies in which we're reading. Um, specifically, they're more obvious in like Good Friday and things like that. And that wasn't always the case. So that, that's that's the important thing to note. All of the prophecies were not read the way we read them today. There were prophecies for sure. There were Psalms for sure. There was, there was the gospel for sure. But they weren't read the way we read them today. They weren't read in that volume and magnitude that I read them today. There's something to consider if, you know, you, you, you're reading in the in the Holy Week prayers and then you you just you're touched by one reading. It's it's fine. You can meditate on that. You can you can just contemplate on that one reading. You don't have to you don't have to finish read. It's not it's not like a curriculum. You have to finish. And you have to go through all of them. It's just those are the readings that we have. And honestly, it adds some sort of beauty because I can be meditating on one reading. You can be adding, meditating on a different reading. Um, but that's just the the idea behind it. It wasn't built in like that. And then moving on to the next lectionary, the Holy Fifty Days. For the readings for the Holy 50 Days, those are essentially readings meditating on 
Christ as the light, Christ as love, Christ as things like that. And obviously we see some readings coming back from Great Lent, specifically the Samaritan woman. We see the reading of the Samaritan woman from the Gospel of John being read both in the Great Lent and during the Holy Days. Uh, so some readings come back and when we talk about that, there there are themes that are that are there that are attached to it. And those are kind of meant to match the lectionary of Great Lent. In terms of the Great Lent, obviously those are a bit more thematic. We see them that wasn't always the case. That was kind of revamped in recent years. In recent, I mean the past hundred or couple hundred years. Um, I don't mean yesterday or, or a few years ago. Um, those are kind of revamped. And there was an attempt to make it similar to the Byzantine Orthodox Church where they have those these readings where there's themes and, and there's the, the Sunday of the man born blind, the Sunday of the paralytic, all these things. And that wasn't always the case. Now where it comes to the more interesting parts um, or the more common parts throughout the year because Holy 50 Days, the Great Lent, and Holy Week all in all take maybe, what, uh, 110, 115 days total. There's still the rest of the year. So the readings for Sundays were separate and the readings for the weekdays were separate as well. The reason for that is simply because they used to only pray a liturgy on Sunday. So they had lectionaries and readings for Sunday liturgies that were separate to weekday liturgies because they began to pray the weekday liturgies later on after the inception of the church. It used to be only prayed on Sundays. And there and there's a discussion in the early in the early apostolic era on whether or not it should be Saturday or Sunday, depending on which interpretation kind of you had on what the Sabbath is. But there was one reading for the day that you pray the liturgy, like we see today, is Sunday. Later on they started to pray liturgies on Saturday as well. They started to pray liturgies on Wednesdays and Fridays, and now we essentially pray liturgies any day, all the days. We can see with Pope Corliss, for example, in Pope Corliss's time, he prayed liturgies every single day. So like, we thank God that we have this, this flexibility now, but it used to be just liturgies on Sunday, and that's why it has its own lectionary. And there's a, there's a great book by Father Mikhail Mikhail, I believe it's called Focus on Coptic Life, and, and he kind of goes through all of these readings, through one year's worth of readings, all of them, and he meditates on them, and he gives... He attributes themes and he attributes contemplations to them, but they weren't always necessarily built in that way. The Sunday, the Sunday readings, we can see, for example, a theme that, that can be drawn is closer to the end of the year, as we see, as we recently celebrated the Feast of the Cross and, and the Feast of uh, the Coptic New Year. There's more of an emphasis on the end of our lives, the second coming, all these things. However, we see now that after after the after the New Year has begun, we see more of God's love towards us. We see more of we see more of God's mercy and, 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 and themes like that. And we can extrapolate themes from them here and there. But at least to my knowledge, they weren't necessarily built that way. In terms of the weekday readings, though, that's where it gets super, super interesting. And I've spent a long time trying to analyze and try to see some sort of consistency and try, try to understand where each everything comes from. And it's a little bit complicated and some things just don't make sense, to simply put. But we'll explain it as best we can. So the weekday liturgies... Are attached to the synaxarium and I don't know if, 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 if you've noticed for any astute listeners maybe you would have caught on uh, earlier on but I did not mention the synaxarium until right now and the reason for that is because the synaxarium wasn't particularly read in the liturgy of the word at all up until a later time and an example of that that we can see is on solemn times on solemn occasions the older rite is preserved and we can see in, in the holy 50 days that the synaxarium is not read during the Holy 50 days. And the explanation that's given oftentimes is because we're focusing on Christ. That's great. 
but we're always focusing on Christ. And yes, the Holy 50 Days has more of a, of a, of a, of a feel that Christ is there, Christ is in our midst because we have a, a daily procession and everything like that during the liturgy. But we're always, the focus is always on Christ. So that's not really a legitimate reasoning or a legitimate answer to that problem. So the reason it wasn't there is because this is a solemn time, a solemn occasion, and the synaxarium simply was just not read during that time. It was actually read in a different time. It was read in Vespers, and later on it was read in Matins, and then it was moved to the liturgy. And we can see that because in Vespers, there's a, there's a time for glorification, a time for veneration, time for the Tamgid, and you can see that again in Matins. And you can even see that in the liturgy after they've moved that because, because you can see that you can pray the venerations also in the liturgy before we pray the, tri the Trisagion. So it's important to see that that, that transition and that, that development of adding to the synaxarium into the liturgy. And it wasn't. it's not because we're focusing on the resurrection of Christ that we don't need the synaxarium. It's simply because it wasn't there in the original rite. And in the more solemn occasions, such as Lent, for example, such as Holy, the Holy Fifty Days, such as the nighttime liturgies, the, the vigil liturgies we pray on Easter um, and Theophany and Christmas, those that those have more of the flavor of the original rite, and an example of that is the entrance, the great entrance of the when we're processing the lamb into the church. That's an example. That's a very clear example of an older rite that was preserved only in those solemn occasions. I love the liturgy of the word, and I'm so excited to begin this series with you guys. And God willing, we won't have this long hiatus like we had before. Pray for me and pray for this podcast. Just before we wrap up, I just want to give a quick shout out to a friend of mine, John, who's really encouraged me and pushed me to restart this podcast so thank you john um thank you for listening and thank you all for listening and for joining and and for being with us and please 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 if you have any questions if you have anything you'd like to discuss or debate or challenge me on whatever if, if anything i love talking about the liturgy so please speak to me about the liturgy if there's anything um, that you'd like to talk about so that's about it for today until next time christ is within us